0: We're Missy Phoenix, a community of God's people learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city. Exodus 6, verses 6 and 7. I'm with you. I'm the God over all things. Here's what I'm going to do for you. Therefore, tell the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from the forced labor of the Egyptians and rescue you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. You will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from the forced labor of the Egyptians. This is God's promise to his people. And what we're going to do right now this morning, it's a little different than how we normally practice this. Every week we get together, we go to the table together. We take the bread and the juice because we aren't taking wine. And we remember the Passover. We remember Jesus' body and his blood. We remember God's sacrifice to set us free from our slavery to sin and death, right? Uh, but this morning, we're going to do a little bit differently because actually what the Israelites would do for generations and still today is they would have four cups of wine. I still filled it with juice because it's not even noon yet. And for a church to be popping bottles at 1030 is not a good look. So it's still Welch's Concord grape juice. But we're going to take four cups today, okay? If you've been with us for a while, you. we did this a couple years ago as well. Uh, And the reason we take four cups, the reason that the Hebrew people, the Israelites, would take four cups at the Seder meal or the Passover dinner is because of what God just said in Exodus 6, his promise to them. And so four promises they remember from those cups. And I have a slide for our four cups here. here. Here are the four cups. And while I share this with you, Steve and Tammy are going to bring a bottle of juice to each table And there's gonna be someone, there's a table at each little circle here. That's why we set up differently today. One of you is going to be uh, the the server, okay? The pourer of those little Dixie cups. So you guys can go ahead and grab those and I'll explain these cups. So there's four cups of the Passover. And the first one is the cup of sanctification. And this is what God said. Tell the Israelites, I'm the Lord. I will bring you out from the forced labor of the Egyptians. What he's saying there is I'm going to make you distinct From the Egyptians, from the people who are in power, who are oppressing you, I'm setting you apart from them. And that's that word sanctification. God who calls you out from the powers of the world and makes you a distinct, different type of humanity, a people for his own possession. And we're going to take this first cup this morning before I even get into the sermon. You're like, oh, the sermon hasn't started yet? Yeah, I know. Uh, It might be quite a morning, we'll see. But we're gonna take that cup to start with to remember that we too have been called out by this God. That we too have been set apart, sanctified. We are being sanctified by the power of Jesus through God's Holy Spirit. That we are entering into the same story that God's people back in Egypt were called to enter into. It's the same God who's still at work today. And he's desiring to pull us out from the powers of the world and make us a distinct new humanity. So we're gonna take that first cup of sanctification. Uh, The other cups are the cup of deliverance. And this is what he goes on to say, the second cup. He says, I will rescue you from slavery to them. So he delivers them from the hand. In order for God to pull them aside, to call them apart, to make them his own people, he has to first set them free and deliver them From the slavery and the bondage that they are facing in Egypt. And then we have the next cup is the cup of redemption. And at that third cup, what they would do at that meal is they would actually also take the bread at the same time. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. Uh, But this is what God says. He says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. What that means is, is, hey, you are slaves. You have no way of getting yourself out of this. Someone else has to come and buy your freedom. Someone else has to come and use their power to overcome the power that's enslaving you. And that's what redemption is. That's what Jesus does for us. And that's what God did for these people in Exodus. And then finally, that fourth cup is the cup of praise. And this is what he continues to say in verse seven. I will take you as my people... And I will be your God. You will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the forced labor of the Egyptians. And so this cup is also known as the cup of acceptance and praise. It's a a cup that reminds the people of God that God accepted them as his own. You are gonna be my people. I will be your God. And because of that, because God accepts them, not because of anything they've done to earn it, but because out of God's love, They have a reason to praise. So that's the movement we're going through today, okay? Uh, I I know it's different. I know it's unique. But at least it's not those little tiny COVID cups we've been using with the styrofoam in place of bread, right? And the really bitter old juice. I don't know if this juice is any better, um, but it's gotta be a step up at least. So that's where we're moving. So what I would love to do right now is start with that first cup. And so if you can get those little Dixie cups out, Go ahead and pour some juice for each person. We got to get through four cups. So don't pour heavy handedly, okay? Give about an ounce for each person. This is a cup of sanctification. And what they would do as they would gather together is usually the, the father figure of the household, the patriarch of the household would say something to the effect of, bless the Lord, our God, the great creator of the universe, giver of the fruit of the vine. And then we would drink. This was the promise that God gave to them in Exodus 6. And then what proceeds to happen all the way up through Exodus 10, leading up to Exodus 11, is God sends Moses and his brother Aaron because Moses was too afraid still to go with God. God said, I go with you. And Moses is like, yeah, but. And so out of a lack of trust still, God makes a concession for him. He says, okay, fine. I will also send Aaron to go with you. Somehow, Uh, this human going with him made him feel more confident even though God was going with him. But God's power still working through these two normal men, faulty men, messes just like you and I, God's power shows up. And we we talked about this a couple weeks ago that he sends a series of plagues on Egypt and each plague was not just a, hey, let me give you a whooping and show you who's boss. No, it was to show them God is actually the true God over all things because they worshiped all these other gods in Egypt, just like most nations of that day. They had a God over almost everything. And so every plague he would send was systematically flicking away each of those little G gods, right? It was saying, no, no, you have a God over the Nile. Let me turn the Nile water into blood because I actually am the one who causes rain to fall and water to spring up from the earth. You have a God over fertility that looks like a frog, like all of a sudden tons of frogs and it's gonna eat up all your crops. Why? Because actually I created the frogs and I'm the one who opens or closes the womb. This is what God was doing. And so he sends a series of nine plagues and we stopped a couple weeks ago at the ninth plague, which was a plague of darkness. That for three days, there was darkness over the land of Egypt and they couldn't see what they were doing. They're bumping into each other. It's chaos, Right? For three days. And we talked about how Jesus himself later would go into darkness for three days as he entered into the tomb and into death. But on the third day, God spoke and light came back. Right? And it was that ninth plague that there started to be a little crack in Pharaoh's armor. And he finally goes, Okay, fine. This is crazy. Just get out of here. Believe all your cattle. Leave all your possessions. And Moses goes, that's not what God said. That's not what the true God said. No, we're we're not going anywhere until you release all of us and all of our belongings. And in fact, when God first came to Moses, he said this. He said, not only are you gonna go with all your belongings, but the Egyptians, they're gonna give you a bunch of their gold and silver just to send you away. And so Moses knows like, this isn't it yet. It's not time. So then we find what happens in Exodus 11. Read along with me. It's just 10 verses in Exodus 11, so I'm gonna read the whole thing right now. The Lord said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. And when he lets you go, he will drive you out of here. Now announce to the people that both men and women should ask their neighbors for silver and gold items. He's reminding him, hey, I haven't given up on this promise yet. This is happening. Verse three, The Lord gave the people favor with the Egyptians. And in addition, Moses himself was very highly regarded in the land of Egypt by Pharaoh's officials and the people. So Moses said, this is what the Lord says. Speaking to Pharaoh now, he says, about midnight, I will go throughout Egypt and every firstborn male in the land of Egypt will die from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne to the firstborn of the servant girl who is at the grindstones as well as every firstborn of the livestock. Then there will be a great cry of anguish through all the land of Egypt, such as never was before or ever will be again. But against all the Israelites, whether people or animals, not even a dog will snarl, so that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction. That's that set-apart sanctification, makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel all these officials of yours will come down to me and bow before me saying, get out, you and all the people who follow you. And after that, I will get out. And he went out from Pharaoh's presence fiercely angry. It's like a mic drop moment for Moses and he just turns around. Verse nine, the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you so that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not let the Israelites go out of his land. This is God's word, the story in Exodus 11. And there's a lot going on there, isn't there? I mean, a lot that's kind of hard to swallow if we're honest with ourselves. If we're just jumping into that moment of the story, we're going, wait a second, this this God that we're always saying is like a good and loving father, is going to destroy the firstborn of every household of an entire nation, even their animals? And and then we're like, wait a second, God hardened Pharaoh's heart so that this would happen? Doesn't seem fair if we're honest, right? But we gotta remember, we're, we're jumping into this moment of the story and we've talked about this, what happens up until this point is actually five times we're told that Pharaoh hardens his own heart. The first five plagues, Pharaoh hardens his own heart. And then we're told the next five times, then God hardens Pharaoh's heart. It's like God's going, okay, fine. You're not gonna listen. Let me just turn you over to what you want. This is what God does later with the Israelites. When they actually are finally set free, they become their own nation and they're called to worship and serve the Lord, their God who brought them out of slavery. And instead they turn around and they start worshiping the other gods of other nations again. And God keeps calling them back. No, 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 come worship me. And they keep turning away from him. And finally, what does he do? he lets these other nations come in and take them into captivity. As if to say, okay, you wanna worship them? Fine, I'll hand you over to what you want. It's not so much of a a discipline with a harshness like we would think at first glance. It's more of a, is this really what you want? I've given you multiple options, multiple choices, multiple opportunities to turn, Pharaoh. Pharaoh. Is this really what you want? Okay, fine. You can have it. And you'll see where it leads you. You'll see what happens. I think about just being a dad with that, with my own kids. And there's like time after time after time that I tell one of my sons to do something and they keep doing the opposite. And it's like, all right, fine. See where that leads you, boy. See what happens, right? You, you, you tell a kid, like, when they're young, like, don't, don't touch the stove, right? <laughs> don't do that. It'll hurt you. But they keep wanting to go, like, with their curiosity. Let them touch it one time. See what happens, right? And so this handing over to what you want, and you'll see where that leads you. Why? Why, why does God parent this way? Because do you remember all the way back, our first symbol, Genesis, the beginning of the story in the garden, What did the man and the woman do to rebel against God? They chose to say, hey, we don't need you to tell us what's right and what's not right, what's good and what's not good. We can actually choose this for ourselves. We could decide what's right and not right, what's good and what's not good. And God goes, really? How's that working out for you? And so that's the same thing that humans deal with over and over again, all throughout history, all throughout this story, and all throughout your and I stories. We're constantly saying, no, we got this figured out, God. We could figure this out on our own. I, I, I know that your word says this. I know your spirit's really like convicting me about this. I know like all these people who, who are community and are trying to like help me walk in your ways, like they, they're giving some wisdom on this, but I really feel when we go with our feelings and our hearts can be deceitful, right? And it's like, all right. How many times are you going to keep turning away from the Lord to say, You know what's right? You know what's good. He's just going to hand you over and go figure out where that gets you. Here's the good news. Here's the good news, and we're going to find this, we'll read this later. Is even for the Egyptians, there's actually an opportunity still to turn away from all that. Even for the Egyptians the people who are in power and who are treating his people harshly, who are demanding forced labor from them under the worst conditions, who are being violent and aggressive toward them, who are taking advantage of them and not giving them much in return. This is the kind of people God's dealing with here. And let's not forget that earlier on in the story, it was the Pharaoh who decided, let's kill all the male babies of the Israelites. And so what is God doing here? what is God doing? He's saying, who do you think you are? Because Pharaoh literally thought he was a God. All of Egypt thought Pharaoh was a God. He was the son of the raw God, the God of the sun. And so he's going to, no, no, you're not God. You don't get to take life at your whim. And so God's coming with this like retribution in a sense, but it's a, it's a way of showing, no, this is who the real God is. And so it sounds harsh to read this story at this moment, but remember God's salvation and rescue over a people who are oppressed and enslaved and taken advantage of is dealing harshly with those who are in power taking advantage of them. If he doesn't, they'll continue to be trampled on. So depending on how you look at it, which side of the coin, is this a harsh God of wrath or a God of mercy and rescue? I think we're going to see both. What the Israelites saw is, oh, this is a God of rescue and deliverance for us. He's going to deliver us out of this bondage. And so when he tells them to have this meal now, and every time you do remember this story, pass it down to your children, what would happen is at this point in the meal, all the kids would go, hey, what, what are we doing? Why are we doing this? Even if the kids knew, it was, it was a, It was a custom for the youngest person in the household to at this point speak up and go, why are we doing this? What makes this night different? So you guys can ask that. (laughs) There you go, thank you. Thanks for playing along. I appreciate that. Uh, And so then again, the oldest person in the household would retell the story of God saving his people out of Egypt. And they would actually read Exodus like three through 12. They'd read the whole thing. And then they would take another cup, the cup of deliverance. And what I wanna do right now is retell some of our own stories. So we're gonna pour, we're gonna drink, and then we're gonna hear some evidences of grace from one another. We're gonna hear how, I know, right? We're flipping everything on its head. We normally do this at a different point in the service. I know, it's weird, roll with it. So we're gonna share like, how has God shown up in your life this week? We're retelling the story so that other people would know we have a God of deliverance, a God who rescues us. Any good thing that's happened this week is a gift from the Lord, and we're going to share that with one another. So go ahead and pour your cups. And let's wait to drink until we've heard some of these stories. So go ahead, anybody, uh, just throw a hand up there or go ahead and just start speaking. How have you seen God at work in your life over these past couple weeks? Go ahead, Aaron. Aaron. That's right. Yeah, and just even hearing how doing one thing, like he actually might be providing for two different households at the same time. That's really cool. Thanks for sharing that. God is good. Who else? How have we seen God at work? John? Stop at the Wilbur the Wildcat thing. I was like, every good thing is a gift from the Lord. That's great. I'm glad you enjoyed that. (laughs) No, that's awesome. Thanks. Crystal? Crystal? That's good. Thanks for that reminder, Crystal. That's Great. Yeah, part of our church family is not the same as part of our Missio family, and really, like, what is God building his church? Not his Missio Phoenix, right? (laughs) So that's good. Thank you. Jessica, you had your hand up? I'm glad you were able to get that time with him, too. Yeah, to have some good news there. All right, anyone else? Anthony? Let's raise a glass to that. This is uh, in light of what you just shared, Anthony. We have a God who does not abandon us, who does not give up on us. And this is what the Israelites were remembering as well, that even after 430 years, this God still heard their cries. He was still with them, and he still showed up to rescue them, to deliver them. And so, bless the Lord our God, the creator of all things, giver of the fruit of the vine. I'm gonna summarize chapter 12 for us, okay? Uh, if you have time, I encourage you to read it in its entirety. Beautiful, amazing, crazy story. Um, but what happens is God is faithful to what he said he would do. But he comes to the Israelites and he says, this is, this is what I want you to do. I want you to trust me in this. Something very terrible is gonna happen over the land of Egypt. It's gonna be wailing and crying like you've never seen before. This is is not a good scene. It's not a cutesy little kid's story in our little children's books. Destruction is coming. And yet God says, but if you trust me in this, if you would trust me in this, because he's gonna ask them to do something pretty weird, right? If you trust me in this though, you will be rescued. You will be redeemed. Because here's the thing, your sin Israel is no less than the sin of Egypt. And remember, we talked about this just a moment ago. When Israel gets out, they start worshiping all those same false gods too. And not only that, but they get into positions of power and they start oppressing other people. All right? A lot of times we like to tell this narrative in our culture today that there's, like, there's the bad people in power and the good people being oppressed. But the truth is, The truth of the matter is all throughout human history, what we see is when any group of people get into power, it can cause problems. And so the same people who were the poor Israelites being oppressed in this story now become the oppressors later on. There's a problem. The Israelites needed to be redeemed, not just rescued. They needed someone else who had power, who would use that power in a way to bless others and not squash them, not just crush them, To come in and use his power in a way to build them up, to restore them, to redeem them, to give them life, to give them identity, to give them purpose. And so that's what God does. And so there had been this system in place already of sacrifice to an extent where we see that happen even earlier in the story with Abraham, right? Where if you were to sacrifice this animal, innocent, had nothing to do with your rebellion against God, that that blood could actually cover you. It would be a redemption for you and that your sins then would be covered and you could be brought out of your enslavement without you doing anything. But it's a a moment of trust though to say, I will present this offering, the sacrifice to this God, trusting he will come through on his part and rescue me. So he tells him to do something weird. He says, hey, I want you to get a, a young lamb a male lamb, about one year old, no defect on it, no, no blemishes. And I want you to sacrifice this lamb, one per household. If, if you can't get a lamb for your household because you're too poor, or maybe a lamb's too much for your small household, get together with neighbors, he says, with the community and share that lamb. And in every household where you eat this lamb as a meal, what you're going to do is you're gonna take the blood and you're gonna smear it over the doorpost. And on the sides. And when my messenger of death comes through, when my messenger comes through to bring the discipline that I said I would bring to Egypt, when it sees the blood covering your home, you will be spared. No harm will come to you, but stay inside. You don't want to be out there when it happens because it's going to get heavy. Stay inside with the blood covering your home and you will be spared. You'll be safe. Make some bread and have some wine too. And when you do that, don't make the bread with any yeast because why? That takes some time for it to rise, right? For it to leaven and you don't have time. You're gonna have your, your shoes on ready to go and your walking sticks and your coats. You're gonna be ready to go because when this happens, Egypt is gonna push you out of here. They don't want you here anymore. So be ready. And sure enough, that night they were screaming and wailing, crying. Every home either had a dead lamb or a dead person in it. This is hard. It's hard. And then the Egyptians, they come to the Israelites and they go, get out of here. Pharaoh comes to Moses, he says, get out of here. I don't want to see your face. Oh, and also bless me before you leave, right? Like he suddenly, finally realizes this God of yours is running the show, not me. So would you bless me? In that culture in Egypt, everyone was looking to Pharaoh to be the one to bless them. But remember what God promised their ancestors before? What he promised Abraham? I will bless you so you will be a blessing. And anyone who blesses you will be blessed by you. Anyone who curses you, Pharaoh, will be cursed by you. And so Pharaoh's like, hey, reverse that, please. I'm obviously, uh, I messed up. There's a curse on me. Bless me instead. Your God's in power. And then all the Egyptian neighbors, they're like, here, take our gold, take our silver, just like God said would happen. Just go. And so they plunder the Egyptians on their way out. But here's something interesting in verse 38. 37 says, the Israelites traveled from Ramses to Sukkoth, about 600,000 able-bodied men on foot besides their families. Verse 38, a mixed crowd also went up with them, along with a huge number of livestock, both flocks and herds. A mixed crowd, what that's saying is not just Israelites. What we see here is that actually for the Egyptians, if they would do that same act of trusting this God, Yahweh, if they would also smear that blood over their doorpost and trust, wait a second, there's Pharaoh or there's this God over Israel. Who am I gonna trust? And some of the Egyptians chose to trust the true God and they were saved too. They were brought out with them and they became part of this new mixed family of God's people. That God's redemption was open not just to the Israelites, but to anyone who would trust him in that moment. The people who were oppressing them, who were in power saying, okay, I give up, I relinquish my power. I see who's really in control. And that's what happens when Jesus comes. When Jesus comes to be that redemption for all of us, because they would have to continue this process of sacrificing lamb over and over and over again until there would be a sacrifice that would actually live forever. The living hope we talked about last week on Easter, that when Jesus comes, he he shares a Passover meal before he goes to the cross. This is what they're doing in that moment. That last supper meal that he shares, they're at the third cup because this is when they introduce the bread. And Jesus says, this bread, it it represents my body broken for you. I'm the lamb who was broken for you, they, It actually doesn't tell us anything about them eating a lamb that night. They just have bread and wine because the lamb is there with them. So Jesus says, when you break this bread, you remember my body broken for you. And when you drink from this cup, you remember my blood poured out on your behalf. That I become the atoning, redeeming sacrifice for you to cover over your sins. But what is Jesus also in that moment? And he's not just the dying lamb. He's also the firstborn of God himself who goes to death and destruction. See, Jesus in that moment is taking on the redemption for Israel who was oppressed, but he's also taking on the atonement for Egypt who was in power. He's covering the cost for all of them. That wherever you're at right now, if you're someone who's in power, abusing that power, if you're someone who's being oppressed, saying, God, where are you? That Jesus comes for all of us. He comes to take that on. Let me just give us a few examples. If you're a person who is enslaved to consumerism and you have to buy like these new shoes all the time and that inadvertently, even if you don't know, is taking advantage of someone working in a sweatshop somewhere. You know, Jesus has come for both you and that person. If you're the one working in the sweatshop, being taken advantage of, or the one who just bought your six pair of shoes this year, Jesus has come for both of you. He becomes the death of the firstborn and the sacrificial man. And Jesus says, hey, I'm not gonna drink from this cup. Not until my kingdom comes again because this is the cup of redemption. Jesus' own blood pours out to fill that cup. And so what we're going to do now, uh, Steve and Tammy, if you would bring the bread around for us, don't worry, it's all gluten-free. And there's no yeast in it. And it's probably going to taste not great, uh, because what they would do is they would actually Dip it in something bitter when they would eat it to remind themselves of the bitterness of slavery and yet to remind themselves of what God brought them out of. And so this time we're going to take the bread first and then we will take the cup as well for our third cup. And we remember that Jesus became that sacrifice both for Israel and for Egypt, for Rome, for America for every single one of us who would put our hope and our trust in him to be our redemption and our salvation. Let's go ahead and pour our glasses real quick. And so on that night, sharing that meal, Jesus sitting there with 12 people who had lived life with him for three years and one of them who was about to go out and betray him. And in fact, the rest of them who would betray him by denying him. He says, one of you is gonna betray me right now. And they all start, they all start arguing, who's it gonna be? It's not gonna be me. And that's the irony is every one of them would. Every one of them would abandon him, even though he is the God who does not abandon us. And he says, I'll tell you who it is. It's the one who's going to take and break this bread with me. They all have the bread. But he says, take this bread Break it and remember my body broken for you. Let's eat. And then he takes a cup and he says, I want you, as often as you do this, take this cup and remember my blood poured out for your sake. And so we remember right now, we have redemption just as a lamb's blood covered the household for the Israelites, that the blood of Jesus on that cross covers you and I for our slavery into sin and gives us redemption. Let's drink. Exodus 12, at the end in verse 40, it says, the time that the Israelites lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the Lord's military divisions went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of vigil in honor of the Lord because he would bring them out of the land of Egypt. This same night is in honor of the Lord, a night vigil for all the Israelites throughout their generations. And so they were commanded to do this every year as a festival. They were commanded to drink four cups of wine, no matter who you were. They were commanded to have their children present and to ask these questions, why is this different? They were commanded to retell the story over and over again and to celebrate, not just to remember the bitterness, but to celebrate, hence four cups of wine, guys, it's a party, celebrate that God had redeemed them, that God had delivered them, that God had sanctified them and set them apart, that God accepted them even though they continued to abandon him. He never left. And that he even welcomed others in. He welcomed the Egyptians in. When Jesus was present, he gave grace and forgiveness to the Roman centurion soldiers. He welcomed all people into this family. And so this fourth cup becomes a cup of praise to celebrate the fact that God has accepted us not because of anything you've done. Israel was saved because the lamb covered them. You and I are saved because Jesus' work, his life, his death, and his resurrection from the grave, the power of his spirit that raised him, then given to his church, his followers, is what covers us, is what brings us into acceptance before the God over all things, the God who created all of the universe, the God of all glory, And that you and I, because of what Jesus has done, because his spirit in us, being accepted by this God, we get to now share in his glory with him. I don't know if we think about that much in our church today. You know, that's what Paul wrote. As much as you share in the suffering of Jesus, you will also share in his glory one day. You know, we had this conversation with our search table yesterday. What a beautiful truth. That we remember the suffering of Jesus, that we choose to turn away from our own selfish, wicked desires, our own thoughts that, God, we know what's right and what's wrong. We know what's good and not good. We don't need you to tell us that. We turn away from that. That's our suffering. That's our putting to death the flesh, our selfish desires, our rebellion against God. And we say, no, Jesus knows what's good. Jesus is what's right. And I follow after him. And listen, you're going to blow it. You're going to mess it up. You've probably already done so today if you're anything like me. But we keep turning back to him. We keep remembering this story. And we keep pointing each other into it. And we keep calling others into it so that there would be a mixed crowd, a multitude of people coming and sitting under the blood of the Lamb. So that one day when Jesus returns in his fullness, you know what's going to happen? There's going to be a feast. And he's going to sit at a table and he's going to be passing around some wine. This is what Revelation talks about. If you want to join our Revelation workshop, we're going to talk about this. We will sit around at a table and feast with the King of the universe, Jesus. And we'll get this cup of praise. But we're going to drink a small cup of juice right now as a symbol, as a reminder, and as a preview pointing us forward to when that praise happens in its fullness. So go ahead and pour We have a reason to praise. If you don't, we invite you to join us, to join this community, to hear this story told over and over again, to remember the truth, even in a broken and messed up world, that we have a God who has not abandoned us. 430 years was a long time to wait for the Israelites. Thousands of years may be a long time for us to wait this side of the cross, but God always comes through on his promises and he will return again one day Holy, save us. Bless the Lord our God, the maker of all things, giver of the fruit of the vine.